Praise the Lord. Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful day. Um, this morning, uh, I'm going to be uh, preaching from Zechariah 9.9. So if you turn in your Bibles to Zechariah 9. Praise the Lord. How many would like to hear from the Lord this morning and not from me? That's my prayer every time we preach. And don't, you were so enthusiastic when I said not for me. <laughs> All right, let's pray for that very thing. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, I just pray that from the very beginning, Lord, your words would be heard. Lord, speak through me, Lord, your imperfect servant, Lord. Words of life, Lord. Words of the Spirit. Lord, hide me behind your cross, Lord. In your name I pray, and everybody said, Amen. Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king. I want you to think about those three words. In fact, that's the title of my message, Behold Your King. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having what? I'm the only one that turned there. (laughs) He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So this is a prophecy. And Zechariah, if you study that book, Zechariah... Uh, was a young man when he began to write his prophecies. Uh, but by the time he finished, he was an older man. In fact, when he started prophesying, it was after the exile of Israel. Uh, they went into Babylonian exile. And God was, God was really calling the nation of Israel to rebuild their temple. Wanted to rebuild the, uh, temple that had been destroyed in 586 and then about uh, Seventy years later, they came out of captivity, and, and Zechariah was one of those prophets, along with Haggai and, and Zerubbabel and Joshua and several different people, a different Joshua. This was a high priest Joshua. They were called by God to, to um, stir the people. How many know the people need to be stirred every once in a while? Because every generation you see people uh, begin to get cold toward the things of God, and Haggai came along with Zechariah and they began to stir the people, do the work of the Lord, build the uh, temple of the uh, where the Holy Spirit's going to be. And uh, we want to build this temple. And then Zechariah, um, toward around the ninth chapter, was actually an older man. He was in his 80s and uh, began to prophesy. And so this was a very well-known prophecy to the nation of Israel. But here we are in the time of Jesus... And it's about 480 years later. Okay, sometimes we don't put that in context. Can you imagine a prophecy we're reading today that's being fulfilled and it was 500 years ago? You know, that would be like we're in the year 2022 and that would be like in the 500s somebody prophesied something. And so right before their very eyes, this prophecy is being fulfilled. And Jesus is very specific to make sure he fulfills this prophecy. 
And today what we're going to be really studying and preaching about is Palm Sunday. And um, my hope is by the time you leave here, you have a real good understanding what Palm Sunday is, what it means, what it's all about, what the implications of it are. Because how many know that some people can celebrate something on a liturgical calendar. I may have ever heard that way word. We don't have a liturgical schedule. I may have ever heard that word before. But a lot of people will celebrate a liturgical calendar around the world and they won't always know exactly what the event is. And in our churches, a lot of times, we don't understand the event and what happened and why it's so important and how we should, uh, more more importantly than anything, how should we respond to this particular event? So Palm Sunday is what I'm going to be going into. And in, in Mark 11, you see Jesus, Mark 11, chapter, verse 1, uh, he begins to set up this event uh, that is Palm Sunday. And he's about, in fact, let me give a little brief description before I read Mark 11 and what Jesus does. But this Palm Sunday is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And so all four Gospels seem to um, build the narrative around the fact that Jesus is living the last week of His life on earth. And so all of them really focus on this last week. And the real kickoff to that last week is this event called Palm Sunday. Because as we go through the week, Jesus will be fulfilling several different things over the course of the week that are prophesied in Scripture. And by Friday, um, that is going to be the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And how many are aware that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb? And so as the Passover lamb is being sacrificed, Jesus is that very hour and that very moment dying on the cross. And so everything kind of centers around Passover week and the events that are going to happen on Friday. And the town is just full of masses of people there celebrating the Feast of Passover. And then by the time Sunday comes along, so Palm Sunday is on the Sunday before, the following Sunday Jesus has died on the cross and He's been resurrected um, on that following Sunday morning. So that one week period is probably the most Important one week period in the history of the world. I'm not under exaggerating that. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that. It is probably the most important week in the history of the world. What starts on Palm Sunday. And so it says in Mark 11, it says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a coat there, tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he'll send it there. Send it here. So then they went their way and found the coat tied by the door outside the street. They loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing? Loosing the coat. And they spoke to them just as Jesus has commanded, had commanded, so they let them go. They then brought the coat to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, 
and others put down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so you begin to read this, and without the information from Zechariah, you don't know exactly why this is such an important story. But Zechariah, almost 500 years before, prophesies that the Messiah who is bringing salvation is going to come, and he's going to come on a donkey. And so there's messianic expectations. They're really hoping, um, in fact, for hundreds of years, they had waited and they knew that when he finally enters Jerusalem, they knew that he would be on a donkey. And not only did they know that he would be on a donkey, but they knew that he would go through that eastern gate, which is by the Mount of Olives, and they knew that he would enter through there. And this would be the one that the Bible was talking about, who was the son of David, who would set up an eternal kingdom. In fact, if you go through Zechariah, And you continue to read, it says after he rides the donkey and your king is coming, it begins to say that he's going to set up his kingdom and then peace will reign through him and he will be the king of kings and the lord of lords. Basically, he's going to set up his kingdom after he rides in a donkey. So you can imagine the people, in fact, uh, just a little details about what he's talking about here. Beth Page and Bethany, if you look at the city of Jerusalem, how many have ever looked at a picture of the temple in Jerusalem? And you see that beautiful picture looking down on the temple. It's beautiful. That picture almost always is taken from a little, uh, a mountain that just overlooks the city. And that mountain is 330 feet above the temple and it's called the Mount of Olives. So most of the time when you see a picture of Jerusalem, It's from the Mount of Olives, 330 feet above it. And in between is a giant valley. And I'm trying to show you, I'm trying to paint a picture here for you. But there is this Mount of Olives that is there. And on one side of the Mount of Olives is Beth Page. And three miles apart on the other side of Mount of Olives is Bethany. And so Jesus has been staying in those, in Bethany. And he's been going in and out of the city from the Mount of Olives. Now in between, the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem um, is a giant valley. Some of you have heard of what's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And that is that valley. It's the Kidron Valley. And Bible prophecy says that one day in that valley, God will judge the world. And so, In fact, he says the entire world will be judged in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And so the Jews, there are many, many... Uh, of their, um, it's a cemetery there, a Jewish cemetery where people like Zechariah and many famous Jewish people, uh, you can see their tombstones there. And then there's a gate there. In fact, if you're in the, um, if you're in the, um, Garden of Gethsemane, it's an, it's an olive garden, and that's where Jesus was among the olive trees, and he could actually look across the Kidron Valley, and he could see the temple there. And so the temple is right there, and the Kidron Valley is in between. Now here's where this story becomes very interesting. When pilgrims would come, when when those would come to worship on the uh, Feast of Passover, they would uh, make a journey 
from the northern parts of Israel, and every part of Israel had a traditional camping ground. How many understand this? How many camp a little bit? There was a traditional camping area for each part of Israel. And so the traditional camping area, remember they didn't have Motel 6s around uh, the city. They had to find a way to camp. They had to find a way to, um, you know, be able to stay there for a whole week. And so the traditional camping area for Galilee, they came from the north. And remember the Mount of Olives is on the east. So you got the west, you got the east. You got the temple over here. You got the western part of the city. Can everybody hear me? I got to use both hands here. Um, but on the east is the Kidron Valley and the temple. And they came from the north, so they would go around Samaria and they would all flood in that little valley there. So I hope you guys like history here. So there would be, in fact, in the city, the city would go from about 50,000 people to about 200,000 people. But around the city, uh, a lot of the old historical records say there was about two and a half million people. So I want you to imagine this. It was just all around the city. It was swollen with people. And there's a rumor that's spreading. And the rumor is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And He's here. I want you to imagine this. Because He's doing miracles that even the rabbis said only the Messiah would do. No other person would be capable of doing specific miracles. And they document them in the Gospels, three different miracles that only the Messiah would perform. And so there is a rumor that He's there and He's ready to reveal Himself as the Messiah. And so Jesus doesn't shy away from it. He says, go to the town. And remember, Beth Page is about three miles from Bethany, he didn't just uh, make it an accident. He didn't just say, well, maybe he just happened to be riding a donkey that day and he's continuing to ride the donkey. And No, he made a choice, specifically go to that town. And it wasn't just any donkey. It was one that was with its mother. It's one that had been nursing with its mother and was just strong enough to carry a person. Now let me ask you a question. Would you go into battle with that animal? Would you try to show your strength with that animal? I mean, it's it's basically the equivalent to riding in the town on a moped. Okay, this isn't a big Harley that rattles the, the windows when you rev it up and you drive into town. This is like riding in on a moped, okay? He's riding in on a donkey that's barely you know, weaned from its mother. In fact, mom's probably right beside him while he's coming into town leading. It's never been ridden by a person. And um, he is showing that I am your Savior. I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. But I am specifically coming to bring peace to the world. I'm, I'm here to bring peace between you and God. I'm here to bring salvation. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to rule you. I'm not here to do all these things. I'm here to present myself to you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many know the first time that he came, he came in a, on a peaceful donkey to bring salvation to the world. He didn't come on a war chariot. There's going to come a day though, and I'll read at the end of this message, that he's going to come and the age of grace will be over and he'll come on a white 
horse and a charger and he will bring judgment to the world. But how many know the first time he came, he came as a lamb. And he came on a donkey and he came in peace to man to bring peace to souls, to reconcile with God. He came in a very specific way, in a very intentional way. And when they seen him on that donkey, they knew that something was different about this one. In fact, you may not know this, but history will tell you that there was another procession that was going on that day. In fact, whenever the Palm Sunday came every year, there was a certain event that always happened. What do you think the Romans would do when they seen two and a half million people around Jerusalem and 200,000 people in the city? And those people every year have messianic expectations that they're going to have a leader that's going to overthrow the Roman government. How do you think that makes them feel? History will tell you that Jesus came in on the eastern part of town. The Roman military, the same day, every year on Palm Sunday, came in on the western side of town. In fact, they wanted to show their military might. They wanted to show that, hey, you better have a peaceful Passover or we're going to be here to find you. And they covered what's called the Antonian Fortress. In fact, Pilate was located in Caesarea Maritima, which is up the coast. Um, the coast uh, above Tel Aviv, what is Tel Aviv today, um, was the station of the Roman military. And Pilate, every year, history says, would come down on that first day and he would have a giant procession through town and it was a military procession. So on one end of town, they're showing the might of the Roman government just in case you might want to get unruly. And on the other end of town, there's a little donkey and everybody around him proclaiming salvation to the world. And so there's a real, there's two things going on here that are totally different. How many can see that? And another thing that's happening is the Galileans are all in this valley. And the Galileans, the Bible says, um, at one point, how many remember at one point in the book of John, I think it's John 12, they tried to make him king. They forcefully tried to grab Jesus and make him king. In fact, in another place, it says that the common people received him really well. And so here's Jesus around his countrymen. He's fulfilling all these prophecies. He's on a donkey. And it says those who were with him were yelling and making a loud noise. And then it says there was another group that joined them because they heard the cries and they began to cry with them. And sometimes we think it was a little group. We think, in our mind, we think it's a little donkey, a few little garments, a few little palm leaves. And we, what we real, fail to realize is the crowds are in the hundreds of thousands. And so the Bible says rejoice, be happy, be excited. You know, celebrate your king is coming and he has salvation with him. And what the Bible doesn't 
do is in Zechariah, there are many times in the Bible that it gives the prophecies about the Messiah. And when you look at that prophecy, it looks like one mountain peak. But really it's two. He's fulfilling the, the prophecies about coming as a lamb and a man who's going to be punished for our sins, punished for our iniquities. If you read Isaiah chapter 53, you see that God is placing the iniquity upon His Son. He's dying for us. He's dying as a lamb. He's presenting Himself as a lamb. I can't stay up there, can I? I'm sorry. I know that. I start to go up there. But what they didn't realize is He had to die as a lamb. And so Jesus knew the Bible, was the Word of God, knew it better than anybody. So as Jesus comes into the city, He's fulfilling every single prophecy about the Lamb of God. But they think He's fulfilling the other set of prophecies about coming as a ruler and and setting up His kingdom, and that doesn't come yet. So they were very mistaken of what he was doing. So Jesus is very carefully, very carefully presenting himself as the lamb. In fact, I preached on this a lot last year. Do you know that he's actually on the very day where they would bring the Passover lamb in to be inspected? How many know that he's being inspected by the chief priests? They're asking him questions. And they're saying, they're asking him every question they can think of. They can't find one single blamable thing to attribute to him. In fact, uh, not only the scribes, the Pharisees, the people, everybody questions Jesus and they cannot find any blame to charge to Jesus. He's a spotless lamb. And in fact, not only them, but then the rulers, they actually wash their hands. I can find nothing wrong with this man. And how many know he's presenting himself as a lamb that is going to be slaughtered for your sins and my sins? And what I want you to think of first is the title of the message is Behold Your King. And I want you to think about it. On Sunday, he comes into town. And how many know they're proclaiming him the king? In fact, when you look at the jackets and the coats and the, and the shirts and the overcoats and everything they threw on the ground, it harkens back to several other kings of Israel. In fact, when uh, Ahab, God removed him from, from his kingdom and put Jehu in there, which was a real surprise to King Jehu to be made king, guess what they did? They threw their coats on the ground. And they honored him as king, and he, he wasn't ready for that. He, he wasn't expecting to be named king. And they started to throw their coats down. The waving of the palm branches, you know, declaring the son of David is about to set up his kingdom. And how many know there were many there that began to proclaim him the king in David's throne? And they were exactly right. But how many know by Friday, they were all yelling, crucify him. There were a large, and I don't know how many of that group, I don't know how many of that group were yelling, crucify him. I wish I knew how that group mixed together and which ones were saying, crucify him, and which ones were saying, he's still my king. 
But how many know that we have got to think about that day and decide, is he our king or is he not our king? Because that's what they had to decide that day. Because on the one hand, you could see the Roman government and you could see the glorification of this world, the glorification of power, the glorification of these world systems. And then they questioned Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? My kingdom's not of this world. And Jesus uh, began to proclaim that, you know, in fact, I wondered, how did Jesus die? How did he even kill the Son of God? How does he even die? And the Bible loud and clear says he willingly laid his life down. He didn't have to. And so Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday, in fact, a lot of times we were talking, Eddie and Cyro and myself, we were talking yesterday, and I've got mixed feelings about... Um, Palm Sunday. Because how many know while the crowds were cheering, Jesus was crying? You know that? Jesus saw Jerusalem for a moment receive Him as their King. And while they were cheering, while they were celebrating, He's crying, weeping over Jerusalem. Because he knows what's going to happen in the next few days. He knows that the hour of their opportunity had came and they let it go. They, they didn't allow, in fact, you know how long this opportunity was in the making? I told you about Zechariah. How many have ever heard about the 70 weeks of Daniel? Have ever heard of that prophecy? I thought I'd look at my notes here. John, or Daniel 9.24 is a very famous prophecy. It's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. I want you to listen to this because if you ever hear about Palm Sunday and you don't remember the 70 weeks of Daniel, it's very critical to remember. But it says, and this is from Daniel. Daniel's actually an older man at this time. He's almost 90 years old when he writes this. And it says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression and make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand. And can I tell you, for a very, very long time, they did not understand this prophecy. And it says that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So that's seven weeks plus 62 weeks. What's that add up to? 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after that, After the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, and the sanctuary, the end of it, shall be with a flood until the end of the war and desolations are determined. So this is an amazing prophecy. It's fully all together when you break it down, a full 70 weeks. And God breaks it into a seven-week period, a 62-week period, and a one-week period. And so the seven-week period 
As you begin to interpret this with the scriptures, I'm just going to make this very simple so I can get through this. Um, they are they are weeks of years, and so as you begin to look at the seven plus the forty two, you begin to look of a it's a four hundred and eighty three year period. And I just want you to get this. I don't want to get bogged down in mathematics here. I actually could. But you have a 483-year period. The Jewish calendar is a a 360-day-a-year calendar. And when you begin to multiply 483 plus a a 360-day-a-year calendar, and then how many of you know there's not a year zero between B.C. and A.D.? And you begin to calculate. God prophesied through Daniel, and Daniel, this is probably around 520 B.C., 520 years before Christ, 173,880 days from the very day that they made the proclamation to rebuild the temple. He said, the Messiah will come. And guess what day Jesus came into Jerusalem to present himself to Jerusalem? That very day. In fact, if you take away the zero uh, for the year that doesn't exist between A.D. and B.C., it's uh, April 6, 33 A.D. If you don't take the zero away, it's uh, 32. Some people will say 32 because they forget to take the zero out of there. <laughs> Just telling you, I've looked at other people's math. They don't do that sometimes. But April the 6th, the very day that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, was prophesied 173,880 days in advance, and they knew exactly the moment that he would come walking and riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And Jesus also knew the prophets. And the prophets, he said, have killed every prophet that God has sent. And he said, because of their hard heart, when the Messiah actually comes, he said, they will reject me. And so all of those prophecies, like Isaiah 53, prophesied that he would be crucified, prophesied that he would be punished, prophesied. And so when Jesus walks in, or comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, guess what he's thinking about? He's thinking about those who are going to reject him. He's thinking about the cup that he's praying, great drops of blood, and he said, God, is there any way this can pass? He said, not my will, but your will be done. And so we see, and we say, well, man, I'm sure glad Sure glad I wasn't there to make the wrong decision. You ever wondered where you would be at that day? Have you ever thought about it? You know, would we have been in the crowd that called him king? Would we be in the crowd that would, um, you know, after his resurrection? In fact, um, you know that he died at the moment the Passover lamb died. He was buried to fulfill the unleavened bread. He was resurrected to fulfill the first fruits feast. Uh, he walked on the earth for 40 days and said, Go tarry in Jerusalem for 10. And the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And this is kind of deep, but I hope everybody gets it. So I'm going to get down here because I feel like I can explain it better for some reason. I don't know why. Passover is the oldest religious observance the world has ever had. 
There's no religious observance that's older. In fact, way back 1,400 years before Christ, how many know Jews all around the world celebrated Passover? They celebrated very specifically in a very certain way. And for 1,400 years before Christ came on this earth, every single detail of the Feast of Passover represented Jesus' death. Every detail. And they it's almost like they were playing out a theatrical play. Every detail about the Passover lamb, every moment the lamb was being prepared, Jesus dies on the cross, the very moment the veil splits wide open when he dies. When they were leaving Egypt, everything with the unleavened bread that they had to quickly take and put in their shirt, every detail for 1,400 years was playing a theatrical play. They were playing out prophecy. Everything they did with the first fruits detailed Jesus' resurrection. Everything they did with Pentecost was playing out every detail of the Holy Spirit being poured on the church after Jesus ministered for 40 days and told them to go for 10 days in Jerusalem and wait. They were playing out a theatrical play almost. And so now Jesus comes... And he's fulfilling every detail starting on Palm Sunday. And to the very detail that they would reject him, they would crucify him, he would be resurrected. And um, I I will say the, the 70 weeks of Daniel may be the most Shocking prophecy in the whole Bible. In fact, I know people, um, very well-known uh, commentators of the Bible, say that is the most impressive um, prophecy that they. I know guys who have gotten saved over that prophecy because God prophesied it so many days in advance, and on the very day Jesus comes into the city. And <clears throat> so I just want to. I just want you to ask yourself, where would you be with those converging groups? Is it possible? I mean, here we are on uh, Palm Sunday, 2022, Evansville, Indiana. Is it possible that Jesus could come through and we would miss him? In fact, there are people all around our country right now, all around the world that are celebrating Palm Sunday. Some of them are celebrating what they would call Lent. Some are celebrating, some are going to church on Sunday. But how many know you can be very religious and still miss Jesus completely? Totally miss Him. Now I want you to think about where we fall into this whole drama of the Bible. The Mount of Olives, how many know it's a special place? In fact, it just has so much history. When David ran from Absalom, guess where he ran? 
through the Kidron Valley, went right over the Mount of Olives and ran and fled from Absalom from the holy city. When he returned, guess where he returned? Same place. When Ezekiel saw the Spirit of God leave the temple, guess where it went? He saw it go up the hill, Mount of Olives, and depart from the temple. When he seen it return, guess where it returned? When Jesus ministered on this earth in his glorified body, and he was about to ascend back into heaven, guess where he was, where he said he was going to return to? The Mount of Olives. And so this same place, in fact, uh, I told you that part of that prophecy was fulfilled, that the king would come on a donkey, but then he would come in power, he would come in glory, he would come to set up his kingdom. Uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel has one more seven-year period that has not been fulfilled. How many know the 70th week of Daniel is the tribulation? How many know that? The 70th week of Daniel is the seven-year period. Now listen to this. The same king who left the Mount of Olives and ascended into heaven is going to descend back in that same place. Listen to Zechariah. Chapter 14, it says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. You guys recognize that location? This is where he rode the donkey. The very same location he rode the donkey, rode the donkey into Jerusalem. It says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain will move toward the north, half will move toward the south. Thus the Lord my God will come and get this, all the saints will be with you. Guess who that is? That's us. All the saints will be with you and it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day or night at the evening time it shall happen. It will be light, and in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, half of them toward the western sea, and both summer and winter shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and the day, and what a day it shall be. The Lord is one, and his name is one. Behold, the Lord comes. This is Jude. This is uh, Jesus' little brother. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His saints. Who is that? That's us. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among those of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things that which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Revelation 19.11, the end of the book. Church, sometimes we've got to be reminded about the end of the book. Listen to this in Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. 
He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You know who the armies of heaven are? Us. It says, The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath, of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. You understand, in fact, last year, uh, worship team, if you come up here. Last year I preached a message uh, from Psalm 118. How many have ever heard the the psalm that says, um, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and I will rejoice in it. And how many have that scripture somewhere in your house? Do you know that that scripture is about Palm Sunday? This is the day that the Lord has made. They wrote that because they were anticipating the day that he would ride in Jerusalem on a donkey. And then we should anticipate the day that he is actually going to come as, an, as a victorious conqueror. I mean, you know, he came as a lamb, but one day he's going to come as a lion. And he is my king. Behold your king, church. Hallelujah. He's our king. Hallelujah. Let's take a few moments just to, um, like I said, I hope you understand a little better Palm Sunday. And let's just take a few moments just to praise Him this morning. Let's just worship Him for who He is, the King of glory. And let's just spend a little time in the King's presence. Hallelujah. There's not enough that we could do to worship God this morning. Hallelujah. You know, I, uh, I hope I do the events justice in the Bible. I, uh, I was writing my notes out overnight this morning, and I was telling my wife, my, my computer, every time I do an update, it destroys my computer. I don't know why. And I couldn't write my notes down this morning. But in my mind... I've tried to paint a picture of what I could see uh, Palm Sunday look like. And so I hope I've done that because I can see that whole valley full of people. I can see him on the donkey. I can, in fact, I'll tell you, that Mount of Olives to me, I can see it in my eye from being standing there. And it was the most shocking place that I was at. Because I didn't realize little things like when Jesus prayed in the garden, those are 2,000 year old olive trees. They've been there since Jesus was in that garden. And when you're sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, you're looking right at the temple, you're looking right at the Messiah gate. And so while he's praying, he sees the Lord's temple, he sees the gate. You know, and that gate is sealed shut now. And it's a Muslim cemetery in front of it because they're afraid that he's going to come back. 
and they don't want him to walk back through there and go through that gate. So since it's been sealed up, semen and shut, and a Muslim cemetery is there. But um, like I said, I try so hard to paint that picture. And I can just see hundreds of thousands of people celebrating, coming in with him. But you know, that wasn't for that day. It's the day that we're going to enjoy. And that's what I'm trying to make you see. When those armies of thousands upon thousands of saints, we're with him. And he's not on a donkey. And we're not walking either. And it'll all be worth it one day. And you've got to be able to see yourself and then then you'll be able to say this is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it you know it's greater than that day on Palm Sunday when we walk in the Messiah gate in fact do you know when the Antichrist is setting up his kingdom in Daniel Daniel prophesies the Antichrist kingdom and it says while the Antichrist is setting up his kingdom it says the Lord is already setting up thrones ready to rule and ready to reign. Revelation's not about the Antichrist. You were fooled if somebody told you that. It's about us ruling and reigning with Christ and finally having the world that we've all dreamed about. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sickness, no more worries. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I'll be glad in it. And we can wave those palms. Because our behold, our king has came. Our king is coming. Our king is on the throne. And don't worry about that Roman procession. All right? Don't worry about that military procession on the other end of town. Your real king is right here. He's on that donkey. He's coming into town. And when God has a plan that's that detailed, I mean, oh, there was no detail that wasn't in that plan. You know, that many days in advance... All you have to do is look around and look at the more sure word of prophecy. Everything we see going on in our midst has been prophesied. We see it coming to pass. And the king is on the throne. He's in charge. And church, we need to celebrate that today. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We rejoice, Lord God. You are our king, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Lord God. Father, let us be faithful to your call. Oh, pour your spirit upon this church to do mighty things, Lord God. Mighty things that we wouldn't even believe it, Lord God, when we see it, Lord. Do great things among your people, Lord. Bless them today. In your name we pray. And everybody said...